one of the places I'm seeing the CIO role and really all the C-level roles is we're all struggling with what is the future going to become and going to be like. Welcome to BMC's Digital Outliers, a podcast series where some of our industry's brightest minds examine the many ways digital technology is transforming the modern workplace and how companies can find the right blueprint to successfully become digital powerhouses. In this episode, host Brian Solis, best-selling author and principal analyst at the Altimeter Group, speaks with Brenda Cooper, futurist, science fiction writer, and CIO for the city of Kirkland, Washington, about how truth really can be stranger than fiction, particularly when it comes to the sweeping changes digital technology is forcing on individuals, businesses, and the cities and communities we call home. Hello, and welcome to another episode where we explore the future of work by talking to some of the smartest and most creative and maybe even inventive thought leaders out there. And today I am just ecstatic to introduce Brenda Cooper, who is, among many things, the CIO uh, for the city of Kirkland, but she is also an avid science fiction writer, a futurist, uh, which I greatly admire, uh, well, all of these things, and also a speaker. So, Brenda, welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. So, Brenda, tell us a little bit more. I mean, aside from that uh, long list of things, what are you working on? Tell us a little bit more about yourself. My work as a futurist obviously informs my science fiction writing. And while my science fiction writing doesn't necessarily inform my CIO job, the reverse happens. And what I do in the workplace, I think, um, can often contribute to the quality of my writing. I just had a, uh, a science fiction book come out. It's called Spear of Light. We're super active in placing a whole bunch of big legacy systems at work. That's keeping us really, really busy on the technology front. And, uh, and I think I'll leave it leave it there and go let you go into questions. I'd love to explore sort of the intersection of how science fiction and thinking about the future sort of apply to the role of CIO today. I mean, I think over the years, the, the role of CIO has evolved uh, from not just implementing and managing technology architectures, but also exploring ways that I think technology can benefit the evolution of work. So I'd love to hear a bit of background of uh, you know, how, to, how you got to where you are and, and how you see things changing. One of the places I'm seeing the CIO role and really all the C-level roles um, coming together with the futurists and the science fiction work is we're all struggling with what is the future going to become and going to be like. We have a lot of choices. We have some things I think we know by now. We know climate change is going to impact us. Whether or not we succeed in turning it around in time to not have it impact us terribly, it's going to be there. We know that there's a lot of sort of global unrest right now and that that's going to impact us. We know these things are kind of linked. So we have to plan for them. We also know there's some really interesting technology coming out in VR, in the Internet of Things, in smart cities, you name it. I mean, there's just tons and tons of really fascinating technology. So we have good things and bad things. So we're taking these good things and bad things and putting them together and doing some scenario planning. Now, in the past, scenario planning that was written up by futurists or academics, which are the, the two people that do the most of that, was really kind of boring. So you might take it to bed with you when you wanted to go to sleep. And more and more now, scenario planning is beginning to be written out as a science fiction story. And when it's written out as a story, it has characters, it has an emotional content, 
And it's easier to put it in context faster for people. So that's one way that I'm seeing science fiction, the study of the future, and um, technology all coming together. As a futurist, working as a CIO, I wonder how you feel about the I and CIO starting to evolve from not just information, but also to that of innovation, uh, where you're not just exploring what technologies need to modernize uh, businesses and how to create processes and systems around those within the, the organization, but how to push the organization forward uh, to get in front of technology. I think it actually comes down to people and working with people, working with what is emerging as change management, not in the sense of technology change management, what changes am I putting in today or this week, but organizational change management and getting people to be willing not only to think about a very different future, but to be willing to embrace it and to see some of the positive things that are available for people. A lot of people are very frightened, for example, about privacy issues, both in social media and as we move into the internet of things, as we move into smart cities, which is an area I've been studying, there's gonna be a lot more cameras and how are we gonna deal with privacy in those cameras? And you have to get people ahead of that and past the fear and into seeing the positives and the reason that you might make some of the trade-offs that we might have to make, because frankly, we might be trading off some privacy for accountability, safety, and security. So there's a lot of conversations that I think need to happen. And if you don't get people out ahead, they'll sabotage it. I've seen that over and over. So what's really important is getting people engaged, giving them time to think about it, giving them the ability to play scenario games and moving an organization forward. And some of that is bringing in millennials. And some of that is, I think, giving people time to think about it. I want to uh, unpack that a bit more. People are afraid or maybe just I hate to say ignorant. They these are these are topics that just don't get enough attention. And I, I have to tell you though, I am ecstatic uh, to hear that you, as a CIO and also as a futurist, are thinking about people. I, I always find it um, interesting to say the least that people are often not the center of these types of conversations when we look at the future of work. So help us understand how you're able to bring people into the into discussion. And then I'm going to geek out a little bit on asking you a little bit more about um, other things that you just talked about. I'm not sure I'm always successful at bringing people in. That's the hardest part. So let me talk about it a little bit in my workplace. And then let's think about how it might work out in bigger places. We have about 750 staff or so and the IT staff's about 30, and that includes a lot of non-core IT functions. One of the biggest problems that we have, and I think it's true in most other workplaces, from conversations I have with other people I, I talk to, both in government and non-government sectors, is everyone is running about 70,000 miles an hour. So there's not very much time. Everything seems to be, well, we need this tomorrow, we need this yesterday, this new emerging thing has happened. We just got hit with this new regulation. You name it. Whatever it is, there's something that keeps us pretty much nonstop and not being able to, to think about things. So one of the things I try to do is just stop and sometimes watch TED Talks, sometimes generate some ability for people to just have a little bit of time to actually talk about things and realize that it's acceptable to talk about what the future might look like in 10 years, and it's acceptable to be wrong about it. Futurists are not overly brilliant. We missed the internet, we missed um, social media, we missed a lot of things. So our job, I think, is more about brokering how people accept the future and how people create the future, because we actually create it 
with our attitudes and our choices and the places that we put our time and our energy. We actually create it with our attitudes and our choices and the places that we put our time and our energy. And I think in larger organizations like like Google and Apple and places where they have a conscious mindfulness exercise time or exercise culture, I think that also helps. I think the personal steps that you take, uh, thinking about being a futurist, but also being a human as you think about the future, I mean, you you put yourself through exercises that help you connect the dots. Uh, and when we look at people who don't necessarily do that, who get caught up in, in process and routine and, and being held to today's standards, there's a real art to how you think about this. And obviously you are an artist, you are an author, you've written many science fiction books, but I would love to hear you know, from your personal uh, journey, how these worlds intersect, how being an author has helped you think differently about your role as a CIO and also about, about the future. I've always been interested in the future. When I was a kid, I read science fiction. So other people might have been reading Nancy Drew, but I was reading Heinlein because that's what I was interested in. And I think there are a lot of us um, in my age group, I'm in my 50s and a little bit younger um, and probably a little bit older, who grew up doing that. We really didn't have the wide range of TV and other things that people have available to them now. And, and we did a lot of reading. And I still do a lot of reading. I do. In fact, the only thing I watch on TV is Game of Thrones. Um, the rest, <laughs> and maybe news <laughs> once in a while if something big is happening. Um, but other than that, I spend my time reading and thinking about how things might go together. And I've made it a practice to study history, not in depth, but to do enough reading on history. To me, I wouldn't call myself a historian, but, but I'm not an idiot about history. It's important to understand that many of the things that we're talking about now that seem like new problems are not particularly new problems. Issues around, say, being challenged about immigration, just to talk about a political hot button, have been going on really since America was founded. They're not brand new. They're, in fact, pretty old and pretty typical. And, and you know, we'll keep going and we'll keep dealing with that. And I think, and to a large extent, we're actually getting better at it, regardless of some of the really awkward rhetoric going on right now about it. When I think about what a smart city might look like in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, when I write short science fiction that is near term, a lot of my work is further term, you know, longer out. I can use the ability to put a character into a situation to possibly understand what effect that technology might have on the average person. Because it's one thing to look at the technology that we're putting in place from the viewpoint of how our staff might take it, which is how I was answering the question earlier. Another interesting viewpoint, and perhaps the most important one for people in a city, is to say, how might this technology impact the people who live in the city? In what ways is it going to make their life better? Are there some ways it might make their life harder? What are the things they might be nervous about? And how do we communicate with them about it? When we talk about the role of CIO today, and with the benefit of your experience as also a, a futurist and, and science fiction writer, what would you say are the elements that other CIOs and just any anyone within a, in, in an organization should start thinking differently about as their role um, is impacted by the future happening today? I think most things come down to people, customers and staff. You know, I've referenced that a couple of times. Our job is to help people deal with change, implement change, accept change. We need to be visionary in the sense of really looking out and seeing what might be possible. 
And there's so many interesting visionary people working now that it's pretty easy to drop into TED Talks, to drop into other conversations that we might find interesting to read science fiction. You know, it's another thing I recommend that people do is that they read hard science fiction. You've got to figure out, you know, which writers are, are writing based on actual knowledge and, and make sure that those are the ones you're reading because some science fiction is really science fantasy. And maybe even talk to scientists and maybe just have these conversations with people and have them multi-generational when you can as well. We're in a multi-generational workforce. We're living in multi-generational families. And talking to as wide a group of people as we can can be kind of important too because I find that younger people view the world slightly differently than I do. I mean, they've lived in a, you know, they've grown up in a very different world than, than I grew up in. And I can get a lot out of talking to 20 and 30 year old people. You're listening to BMC's Digital Outliers, a series dedicated to helping you understand the many ways digital technology is transforming the modern workplace. To listen to other podcasts in this series, go to digitaloutliers.com. I'd love to hear from you how you get people to see things differently. So, for example, when we talk about the new workforce with millennials, uh, they just inherently want to work different. They think about things different. They have a different core set of values. But when we look at, say, older older managers um, and definitely older processes and systems within the workplace, we tend to sort of look at it from a negative standpoint rather than embracing it for what it is to lead to innovation. So how do you get people to see and do things differently? One of the challenges in a city is cities are very old fashioned. Even um, a regular amount of teleworking is difficult and people find it difficult to trust people that they're necessarily working. We don't have the processes in place to support a distributed workforce in the way that many um, for-profit businesses have. And I think that's slowly changing, but cities tend to change culturally a little bit behind the for-profit arena because we don't have quite the same cost drivers and we have a lot of transparency issues in the sense that our um, citizens are always looking at us through these open, open um, government laws and sunshine laws and trying to figure out, you know, what are we doing? And we need to make sure that we look appropriate. And in some ways, a city personality is a little bit old fashioned. So, you know, I'm always sort of fighting that one. Some of it, I think, is allowing and accepting differences in the sense of going ahead and rewarding the millennial ways of wanting to do work, but also rewarding the old fashioned ways and trying to be really careful that you don't make one right and one wrong. Because there's a tendency to say our culture is X. And I think in this world, we're going to have some things about our culture that are going to stay the same through everyone. I think you have to, to have a corporate personality, but I think we're going to have to allow different ways of approaching work in order to be successful and find ways to um, play together in harmony. Yeah, that's, that's well said. That's well said. And, and a lot of people still debate this actively, uh, which, which I find fascinating. To your earlier point, I, I want to revisit something because when, when we are faced with change, some of us are, are you know, change is hard, right? And so I think, I think we all get that. But there are some people who really tend to go out of their way to protect what they have, uh, also look at, um, as you said, sabotaging uh, certain efforts. I, and these are real sort of destructive behaviors within the organization that prevent prevent real change uh, and also bring down the culture. I, I often say that culture isn't just what you uh, empower or reward, but it's also what you put up with. Uh, and 
I, I just, you know, whether, you know, whether your experience speaks to this or just your, your opinion, how, how do we get around that? How, how do we get people to see things in ways that, you know, aren't so negative, but actually beneficial to them in the long term? One of the few things I've seen work consistently is having people do some meeting and listening to each other so they understand where one cultural viewpoint might be coming from versus another. Like it can be useful if I bring in a millennial and they immediately want to work in a way that I can't let them to have them hear and understand what are the organizational barriers for that. And then to have the people who are sort of part of those organizational barriers listen to the millennials so that they get the other side to open things up a little bit. I mean, listening to each other seems to be the best way to get people to be more tolerant. We're very intolerant of the other if we don't work with them, see them, know them, or, or uh, feel like we understand them. Listening to each other seems to be the best way to get people to be more tolerant. I once heard that the best the, the best way to disarm a, an enemy is is to listen. And another thing that you said that I just want to touch upon uh, before before we wrap up is that, especially in, in in the work that you're doing around smart cities, privacy is is one of those things. I remember when we we watched movies like Minority Report and we we had discussions about, oh my goodness, you know, everybody, yeah, everybody having eyes into what we do as we walk around a city or as we shop at local retailers or businesses. That just was almost unfathomable. But yet now today we rely on on that uh, when we have to solve problems or solve crimes, for example. But how does the definition of privacy sort of affect and shape your work? And and how do you how do you help people sort of come along? Right. I mean, I got to imagine that there are discussions around benefits, but also societally we see you know a difference in even how people define privacy and you know millennials versus Gen X or or uh, you know, older generations. Uh, plus, add to that, you know, we live in a, an era of social media that just sort of begets this this assumption or expectation of transparency. So these these privacy conversations, I imagine, are are becoming more critical in your work. We have them all the time. Uh, we have them around moving to the cloud. As we move further out into the cloud, it's privacy married with risk and security risk, you know, should I take this data and put it somewhere where I don't have control over it? And maybe are their controls perhaps even better than mine? And how do I tell? Because we're taking citizens data and, and that we've always taken care of. And we're saying, oh, okay, now we're going to let this cloud application or a cloud vendor take care of it. And that's really kind of scary. I mean, because obviously we're moving that direction. We have privacy discussions around cameras in in the city because, for example, we have a very, very open um, records law in Washington state. Basically anything anyone asks for, they can have other than a very small number of things that have been exempted, like attorney-client conversations and stuff. But by default, a record is available. So if we are, say, doing a um, videoing something on the streets for a safety reason, or we're videoing a place where we're worried about there maybe being repeated graffiti, or we're videoing intersections and there are accidents in those intersections, then all this videotape suddenly becomes public record, or is a public record if we keep it. So 
do we keep that data? And if we keep that data, how do we then retrieve it? And how public do we make it? Do we let someone just get out historical intersection camera whenever they want? Or do we have to make them go through a request? We've had a number of request stores to the city um, say, we want to just see all your data. And, you know, and all of these, these examples aren't all necessarily Kirkland examples, but they're examples from here or from other cities that I've talked with. And it's just a huge issue. What do you do and how do you keep citizen data private in a world where the data is distributed in a more and more diffuse way? And there are reasons for people to be a little bit of afraid of lack of privacy, but I think it's not going to change. I think things are going to become more transparent rather than less transparent, and that we're going to have to figure out how do we deal with that and where do we have laws about use of data or abuse of data? Where can we make things opt in so that people know how their data is going to be used, for example? So this is just this sort of huge legal conversation, and we've had it differently in the United States than Europe has had it. We need to think about that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. People, uh, countries, cities all have sort of different different points of view uh, when it comes to this conversation. But I suppose it takes thought leaders to think about the uh, you know the benefits as also with listening to think about the compromises that everyone needs to make, and including if that comes at the expense of innovation and acceleration. Before I let you go, I just love for you to share you know as a, as a futurist, as as an author, as a as a CIO, as a human being, what advice would you give to those thinking about the future of work and the future of business um, that they could just sort of take away uh, and feel empowered to think differently and, and take different actions and steps? I sometimes see people think the future is going to just happen to them. And in a way, some pieces of the future may happen or may be out of any one particular individual's control. Um, but many of the choices that we make actually do affect the future. For example, if I choose a certain technology or reject a certain technology for my organization, I'm affecting that organization's future. If I deal with people in a certain way, I'm impacting that future. If I deal with a political issue in a certain way, I might or might not be impacting that future. So our choices really have a lot to do with what the world will be like 20, 30, or 40 years from now. And it's really important to think those things through as we make choices and realize that many technology and platform choices aren't for the next five years, but maybe are for longer. I think that can also apply to life in general, Brenda. I, I don't want this conversation to end, but I really, really thank you for joining us today. And I look forward to the future of your work and also uh, for how people react to, to your, the thoughts you shared today. So thank you so much. Thank you, I appreciate the time. It was fun to talk with you. Thanks for listening to BMC's Digital Outliers, a series dedicated to sharing the changes the modern workplace is undergoing via digital technology. BMC Software is a global leader that partners with companies committed to becoming digital powerhouses. Follow us on Twitter at BMC Software and at BMC underscore DSM.